Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. We are an iHeart station, and you can reach me on the web anywhere in the world, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, every Sunday. Go to drbillradiomd.com. That's drbillradiomd.com, and click Listen Live. Or you can go to am860theanswer.com. This is Talk Radio Interactive, and I am at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. Every week is different, from medicine to law to politics to my good buddy, Pryor Smith, who's on the phone with me this morning, or on the line, I should say. In the studio, and Pryor has his show, which is called Canada Calling. He puts on a new show every season in the southern United States, a number of markets, 20, 25 markets. Uh, he's got a five-minute news show that runs every day from October to April, I think. Pryor, are you there? Yes, sir. I am here. Canada Calling has been on the air throughout the winter. Down south for all the vacationing Canadians, of which there are about four million of us in Florida alone during the winter. And Canada Calling has been on the air every day throughout the winter for 64 years. And the 65th year will begin all being well the first week of November. That's older than I am, dude. Oh, my gosh. You've been on air a long time. Have you been doing the show your, yourself for 60 years? or No, <laughs> I've been doing it for 41 of those 64 years. Never missed a day, touch wood, and we have had the pleasure of being on AM860, The Answer, for pretty close to 35 years every day throughout the winter. The way that I met Pryor was through the Salem station, WTBN, and uh, the other sister stations that are under that umbrella over in Tampa. Uh, Pryor was airing his show on, what was it, what station was that initially you were on, Pryor? I can't remember WGUL AM 860, which then became AM 860, The Answer. There you go. And so I sponsored Pryor's program in our market. The way you do radio shows is you you get a market like Tampa Bay, and so you get a station, and you get sponsors here, and then you get, get them in Orlando, and you get them in San Antonio, and you, you basically you go out and sell yourself. And you buy airtime, and you get sponsors to back you, and you get a little extra, and Pryor's made a decent living off of that. So we sponsored Pryor in this market. 
And that's how I got involved with Salem Broadcasting and WGUL and WTBN. And then I decided to do my own show on Sunday. And here we are. Unbelievable. And and here we are. And just think you could be bigger and better with each passing week if you wanted to be. (laughs) Yes, I could. There's only so much of Dr. Bill to go around. Yeah, you know, you can't practice medicine and and uh, take care of a big house and do a radio show and sell advertising and all that. I mean, you're you're limited in what you can do. Now, there may come a time when this show will be more important to me and will be financially uh, sustaining, and I'll be able to cut back on my medical practice. That day may come. You never know, Prior. And but I think, you know, I think good following. In the- so. In in the meantime, you've got the CanCare Clinic on 38th Avenue North in St. Petersburg, and every Canadian that comes down into Tampa Bay certainly knows about the CanCare Clinic. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, I think I'm better known in Toronto than I am in, in uh, Clearwater, <laughs> Florida, which is only it's, 20 miles up the road from us. No, it's, so. in, it, it's incredible. The number of people I talk to who travel to Tampa Bay during the winter season, who at one time or another are in need of medical attention in one form or another, and invariably they wind up at the Can Care Clinic on 38th Avenue North in St. Petersburg. You know, I'm so grateful for the patronage, too. I mean, we've worked hard to attract the Canadian uh, snowbirds that come down, and it's it's been very successful. But I'm also really grateful. I mean, it's just a, an amazing thing, not only that the Canadians come down to Florida in droves and support us, but that they actually know who I am and are happy to have me. And they're, they're so grateful prior. I mean, it's, it's just a, uh, it's a, it's a thank you. Thank you on both sides. They're grateful oh, to have somebody they can trust and I'm grateful to have their patronage. Well, it also helps that, you know, the Canadian medical system as well and the medical billing system and everything else associated with it. Because most people, to be perfectly blunt, don't understand it in Florida. You do, and that's why you've done so much business with so many Canadians. You know, really, the the, the Canadian market in Florida, for as many years as I've been involved in it, which is four decades, it's incredible to me how a market so big still flies below the radar. But that's the case. It is. You know, I think it's uh, partly that it's just taken for granted. And uh, I, I think it's that old thing, the the squeaky wheel well this yeah. is not squeaky wheel this is a well-oiled wheel of canadians coming down to florida but we do need to do more to recognize and accommodate our our canadian cousins who we just love and appreciate down here in, in the tampa bay area i mean it just adds so much to our economy our our population grows by 10 to 15 percent every winter because of the canadians coming down and that that's a big deal that's a big big yep. deal that's a and, lot of gravy <clears throat> Yeah, and most of the time you never see us coming, you never see us going, unless you're standing around the the airport in Tampa or just watching the traffic on I-75. We arrive quietly, we leave quietly, and we leave a whole lot of money behind every winter season. And and we thank you. And if you have any extra, send it on down to us now because (laughs) we're eyes in need. (laughs) Well, listen, Pryor, I want to know, you had this hip done and you're – you're always touting the Canadian healthcare system. So what happened? You, you had to get your hip replaced? What's the deal here? Yes. Uh, I'm 73 years of age, and about a year and a half ago, all of a sudden I noticed a stiffness at the top of my right leg. And I, I, I thought it was a pulled muscle, to be perfectly honest, so I did nothing about it. But it never got any better. And so after about a year of kind of semi-hobbling around, 
I went and had x-rays done, and it was determined that I was basically bone-on-bone bone on the right hip. Yet, for some strange reason, the left, the, uh, the left hip was fine. So, I have my choice of, uh, of doctors that I can go to, anyone I want to pick. So, I selected the Sunnybrook Holland Orthopedic and Arthritic Hospital in downtown Toronto. And if you're familiar with downtown Toronto, Wellesley and Young area, there's this seven, eight-story nondescript building. You drive by it a thousand times and you never even know it's there. But inside that building, on average, every year they do over 4,400 hips and knees. It's the epicenter of knees and hips in Canada. So my That's surgery industrial, was man. That's oh, yeah. industrial. Just do the math and you can figure how many they do every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I had the surgery done April 9th. I am now at my six-week stage. And it's it's incredible to me how I, I guess no surgery is deemed to be routine. But if anything is routine in the surgical world, it's hips. They've got this thing mastered. They've got it down to the point where they can almost predict day by day the state of your recovery. And I'm walking around almost normally now after six weeks, which I think is a miracle, but that's the way it is. Well, we doctors were miracle workers. You know that prior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but it's incredible to me how routine this whole thing has become. I was in and out of the hospital in two and a half days. And the, the, the other thing that's kind of amazing to me is I, I wasn't really aware of the degree to which hips and knees are a, are a problem these days. We're all living longer, obviously. Some of us didn't treat ourselves the way we should have been treating ourselves in younger years. And so all of a sudden, given the graying of society, more and more people are getting hips and knees replaced to the point where once I got into this thing, it turns out every second person I run into has either had it or is about to have it. Yep. It's a very common procedure. The hips and the knees are both very common procedures, and it's it's gotten to be a, a, a real uh, perfected science. And the the incisions have gone from these big, long, twelve-inch, fifteen-inch incisions to little five, six-inch incisions. And you got to wonder how did they get all that hardware in there? I mean, they have to put in a partial hip joint itself, so the the pelvic part of it has to be carved out, and you have to screw and glue this piece into the that's the socket into the socket of the hip and then you've got to put the the femur with the head the ball on it that'll fit into the socket it's a ball and stock ball and socket joint and it it you know how do you get how do they get it all in there i mean those are not small devices well that's what i asked the surgeon after it was over when i determined that the incision i had on the side of my hip was only six inches long i said how do you get all that stuff in there and then i thought geez, maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's but, secret. If he told you, he'd have to kill you. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the incision was only six inches long, and it healed up within about two, two and a half weeks. And you say to yourself, boy, they've got this thing perfected. But when you're doing, on average, 4,400 a year in one facility, I guess they've had a lot of practice at it. Absolutely. And, and you think about the scale of, of it, when you come into the United States where we have 10 times the population. And of course we have not only centers that uh, specialize in this, but almost every community hospital has an orthopedic program. So there's a lot, a lot of hips being replaced in North America. A lot. Yeah, Unbelievable. It's, in, 
Yeah, it's incredible to me the number of people I've encountered just over the past 10 months or so, ever since I've been enmeshed in this whole thing. You say, geez, how, how did I miss this? But I did. And then all of a sudden you start talking to people and you realize this thing is of epidemic proportions. And I guess it's simply the fact that you know, back in the 40s and 50s, when people started to squeak at their joints, they would just simply sit on the front porch and watch their life fade away. Whereas the generation that's living today is as active, I'm as active today at 73 as I was at 43. And I guess that's why we're all into new knees and hips. Well, I think not only is the technology or has the technology improved, but and the longevity, of course, but we, we also know that in the old days when we first started doing hips and knees, if we let you lay in bed, there was a percentage of people that would get pneumonia and they'd die or they'd be very sick for a long period of time. And now we don't do that anymore. Over the years, we figured out you're getting up. We get you up the first day and, yes, sir. We, and we make you breathe and we make you use incentive spirometers, which are little machines that you try and see how, how you can get the ball to go up when you suck air in and, there's a number of things that we do nowadays. There's also the anticoagulation. We have to stop the blood from clotting because you may disturb the venous, the, the flow of blood back to the heart from the leg. And if you do that, then there can be stasis and clotting. And so, I mean, it's, it's just such a, it's not only a mechanical and uh, carpentry science, but it's also a biochemical uh, physical therapy science. It's just a, a number of factors that have come into play and have been refined and honed and worked on and discovered and improved. And uh, now it's rare that anybody dies from a hip replacement or a knee replacement. It's just unheard of. I, I mean, I've had one patient in the past 10 years that I've seen that happen to. It's, hmm. You're up and about. You got to get your butt moving and we'll go in there with a whip and beat you if you don't. Well, I'll tell you, my surgery was at 12 noon. I woke up in the recovery room at 2.15. I was up in my room, uh, floor above the operating rooms about 15 minutes later, and I was walking very gingerly down the hall at about quarter after seven that evening. The following yeah. morning, I was up walking again, and at 10 o'clock the following morning, I was going up and downstairs. There you go. See? Now, I've... I was doing it very gingerly, but they make sure you're up and you're at them almost, well, almost immediately. Oh, absolutely. When I had my neck surgery, I had a, a fractured neck and head surgery in 81. Uh, it hadn't gotten quite that aggressive, and I was in so much pain, I didn't want to move. And it, I had it on a Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, the weekend nurses wouldn't fight with me. Monday morning, Nurse Hatchet came in. Sure. She she just basically grabbed me and pulled me out of bed, and, uh, and so she said, "You're getting up." I'm like, "I can't do it." She said, "Yes, you can." And she pulled me out of bed. Uh, they shaved the rest of my head, threw me in the shower, and made me get up and walk. <laughs> Gave me a walker and said, "You're walking, dude." And uh, you know, fortunately, there are people that understand that, and now it's not just the art of nursing. It's the science of nursing. We know that we got to get you up and moving. So it well, seems two, a little cruel, but it, it's it's necessary. Yeah. Two things I should point out to anyone who is about to encounter something like this. Number one, I am now at the six-week stage of my recovery, and there has not been one ounce of pain associated with this from minute one. 
I don't know how to explain it, but there hasn't been. And item number two, you talk about nursing. I don't know what the nurses get paid in these hospitals for working 12-hour shifts, 7 to 7 and 7 to 7. I don't know what they get paid, but whatever it is, it isn't enough. You know, uh, the nursing profession in the United States uh, pays reasonably well. I mean, it's not it's not going to pay what a doctor pays. But if you work overtime, uh, you can make in low six figures. Most of the nurses are going to make sixty to eighty thousand if they work regular shifts, which is no longer great money, but it's good money. I mean, you can live on that. Mm-hmm. And, the the opportunities to move up are there also in the United States and not so much in Canada yet. You can become a nurse practitioner and then you're in the 90 to 110,000 range as a semi-independent medical practitioner. My wife is a nurse practitioner and she can see patients and write prescriptions and do just about everything that I do. Of course, she doesn't because she doesn't have the training for procedures and cardiology and all that. Or you can go the nurse anesthetist route, which is uh, a nursing master's degree that specializes in anesthesiology, which is put them to sleep and wake them up. And they can make a hundred to hundred twenty-five thousand a year, and that's not bad money in the United States. It probably doesn't go as far in Canada because the cost of living is higher, but yeah. uh, it's still a decent income and. Uh, you know, I I say if you are interested in nursing, uh, you're you're picking the right profession. There will be a need for nurses far into the foreseeable future. It's going to pay decently, and we need you. There's always a shortage of nurses, so that's something to think about. And by the way, we've had nurses who have come from Canada to the United States. I don't know that they do any better financially, but. Uh, for whatever reasons, they marry somebody or they got the, the moving itch in them or what. But I'm sure they get paid well in Canada, too, prior to them. It's, it's a good profession. Well, I certainly hope so because the, uh, the, the, the level of nursing care at the uh, hospital that I was in was just absolutely first class. You, you couldn't have asked for anything better. And I thought to myself, boy, the, these are long shifts. Seven in the morning till seven at night, and then from seven at night until seven in the morning, those are those are long, long shifts. But they did it, and the 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 level of care was just absolutely first class. It, it's it's really amazing what the nursing profession can do these days. And my hats off to them. I think Nursing Week was a few weeks ago, and uh, we just really appreciate the nurses we have in in our little hospital. So, kudos to. You nurses out there, we love you, we need you, and we want you. Now, listen, prior, i got to ask you now. You obviously were very physically active. I mean, there's, there's certainly there's a genetic risk factor to having osteoarthritis, bony arthritis, and hips and knees degenerate. But, I mean, you were, you were a pretty heavy-duty hockey player in your day, weren't you? Played a lot of hockey, and for 30 years, my hobby has been restoring antique wooden boats standing on a concrete floor in a workshop, which doesn't help your situation. But the question to be asked is, why does one hip fall apart? Or I shouldn't say fall apart. Why does it degenerate? And why does the other one stay okay? Are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Then you're right-footed, so yeah. that's what that's what you're going to use. Uh, when, you're, when you're skating, you'll probably use your right leg more to push off than your left and when you're standing you'll probably 
want to lean on your right side more than your left because you have more control, more balance, whatever. So basically, if you're right-handed, you're going to be right-footed. And if you're playing sports, that's the leg that you're going to favor, whether yeah. it's soccer or or baseball. or And you can see the guys digging in. Even in baseball, you'll see them. They'll plant that right foot behind the plate. And when they swing, the left foot oftentimes comes up off the ground unless they're left-handed, and then it's just yeah. the opposite. So there's more stress. You're pushing off more with that right side and more trauma to it. Yeah, well, I was told, and, and the x-rays showed, that the right hip was, like I say, basically bone-on-bone, bone, yet the left hip was fine. Well, there's a, there's a pad uh, uh, that is a cushion between the two surfaces of the joint, the ball and socket joint. Uh, people call it cartilage or meniscus, or it's a combination of, of soft tissues that are fairly hard, kind of like a, a pretty hard toughy pad. And over time, that can be eroded and worn down, and that's what happens. And so if you're using one leg more than the other, then the joints on that side are going to go out quicker than the joints on the other side. It's as simple mechanics and physics. I, I, I should tell you a weird story. When I went into the hospital for my initial examination, the uh, orthopedic surgeon, you know, we, we do a general talk, and then he says, okay, hop up on the bed. So I hop up on the bed. And he has me laying out straight. I've got my pants on, my socks on, my shoes on. He says, okay, put your feet together. So I put my feet and my knees together, stick them straight out as far as I can stick them out. He says, yep, yeah, your, your left leg is an eighth of an inch longer than your right. Yep. <laughs> I said, how, how can you tell when I got my pants, socks, and shoes on? He said, when you've done a few thousand of these, you can spot it a mile away. Yeah, you know, it's like how do you and it's know your your eighth, Yeah, it's that eighth of an inch uh, cartilage or whatever you want to call it that wasn't there anymore, and that was a difference in the length of my two legs. It is a, a unique phenomena to see the difference, and as we get older, and body parts, uh, you know, one side will shrink a little bit because of loss of cartilage and meniscus, or you lose height because of loss of bone mineralization and uh, disc space in the, in the disc between your vertebrae. They start to deteriorate, and, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting phenomenon to go from 5'10 to 5'8 <laughs> because of, of your degenerative joints or degeneration of your joints, but it, it, it happens. It happens to a lot of us. Uh, but, he, but he could actually spot an eighth of an inch difference with my, with my pants, shoes, and my socks on. Now, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's good, but, you know, prior, for a layman, it seems like it's uh, really mystical, but it's like anything else. If you work on the car line at, at GM up there in Petersboro, and you're doing one job over and over, I can guarantee you that after a couple of years, you're going to see something that's even a, an eighth of an inch off and throw it off the line. Exactly. And another thing uh, of note to anybody who may be heading into this thing is, as I uh, went through a second round of x-rays, he said to me, oh, you've, you've got a rather large hip. And I said, uh, does that make a difference? And he says, don't worry about it. We have a shelf full of devices. We'll get one that fits you perfectly. Well, that's that's uh, served you well having a large hip bone structure because you were an athlete, and uh, athletes who are 
weight-bearing athletes, whether it's running or football or ice hockey or basketball or whatever, baseball, that uh, serves them extremely well along with big heart and lungs. And that's what makes for these, these yeah. great athletes, or their ability to move blood and, and oxygenate their, their body quickly and to have large uh, bones and, and muscle structure. That, that's well, a lot of it. Well, I was under the impression that one size fits all, but it turns out, um, nope. it, it turns out that over the years, you know, this this whole science has developed to the point where they have them in microscopic increments. Oh yeah. So you and, so you, you name a size, and they've got it. Yeah, and when when we do the surgery, we can actually measure uh, the the size and and double check to make sure we have the right device along with the CT scans now and the MRIs we can get exact measurements it's it's uh it's really unbelievable the technology when i was a kid and we had dick tracy cartoons i don't know if you had that up in your neck of oh, oh, yeah. and he had that that wristwatch that he could talk into it it was a two-way radio or a telephone and we were all wow that is too cool and everybody said oh yeah that's coming someday but not in my lifetime like what's happened in my lifetime would just be unbelievable if I had known all this was going to happen when I was in my, my early teens. It just, it's incredible prior how far the technology is coming. Yeah, it is. It is truly amazing. Having gone through it over the last six weeks, all you can do is kind of sit back in awe yep. and say, you know, really thank goodness a, a whole lot of people preceded me down the road because with each passing month, each passing year, there's yet another advancement. And so the the longer you can hold out, the better it is. Well, prior speaking of incredible, you know, ice hockey's in the air down here. We're in the semifinals yes, sir. for the Stanley Cup. And <clears throat> incredible to me is Las Vegas. Now, I don't know a whole lot about ice hockey. You're the aficionado. Uh, by the way, prior has been doing an ice hockey sports show on, what is it, uh, Rogers? Well, I should uh, <laughs> I should tell you, uh, I created a little radio program in Canada 34 years ago called Don Cherry's Grape Lime, and it features Don Cherry, the former coach of the Boston Bruins, who's also the the premier the premier guy on Hockey Night in Canada, and his co-host is a fellow named Brian Williams, who has hosted more Olympics than anybody, I guess. And so Don and Brian and myself have done this little radio show called Don Cherry's Grape Lime. Every day of every winter season for 34 years, and it's all about hockey. And you talk about a surprise. You talk about Vegas. It doesn't get much better than that. Tell us, what, what you know, what's so unique about this team? Is this, uh, uh, I mean, I hadn't even heard of them until this year. Are they a new team or what? Yeah, they're an expansion club. Came on the scene, um, well, over the past year. This is their first full season. And unlike every other uh, expansion club that's come into the league, into the NHL over the last, what, pretty close to 50 years now. This team actually got some decent players. <laughs> um, before yeah, every, ex well, before every expansion club just basically got the dregs of every other organization's, you know, chart. Whereas this time, the existing teams had to surrender at least one or two pretty good players by these new rules that were established by the league. So, for example, the Las Vegas Golden Knights wound up with Marc-Andre Fleury, who's the goaltender, who has already won three Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh. This guy's one of the best goaltenders on the planet. And 
given his age and such, he was let go by Pittsburgh. They had no way of keeping him under the new rules. And so he became available. He became the first choice of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And in this series against Winnipeg that continues this afternoon, you, you can't get a pee by the guy. And all it takes is a hot goaltender in a seven-game series. And my God, anything can happen. Yep. And here they are. They're on the... Are on the, th- the threshold of knocking off the Winnipeg Jets, which, in my opinion, have probably the deepest roster of any team in the NHL, but they're one step away from moving on to the Stanley Cup Finals in their very first year. Has Winnipeg won uh, a Stanley Cup in the past 10, 15 years? No. No, Winnipeg, uh, there have been two incarnations of the Winnipeg Jets. The original team, which originally became an NHL member through uh, – through the collapse of the World Hockey Association. And then that team folded because of a series of reasons, not the least of which were financial related to the Canadian dollar. And for about 15 years, there was no team in Winnipeg. But then the Atlanta Thrashers folded in Atlanta, moved to Winnipeg. The Jets were reborn. But the Jets have never won a Stanley Cup. Matter of fact, they've never even made it past the third round of the playoffs. So this is really a, a unique uh, semifinals. I mean, you've got... Uh, a startup team and a, and basically a, a second startup team with with the Jets in Winnipeg. Yeah, uh, what a what a what an exciting series this has been. What do you oh, think about did. Tampa Bay? Do we have any chance? Oh, geez, yeah. I thought going into this whole thing, it was a toss up between Washington and Tampa Bay. You know, basically a toss up. I figured Winnipeg would take care of Vegas, although it would be a long series. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to be wrong on both fronts. Uh, in terms, you know, I mentioned about Marc-Andre Fleury playing goal for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. It's the old story in any Stanley Cup round. you got a hot goaltender. <laughs> the hot goaltender can take you a long way. And as it is with the, uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, this, this goaltender with, with Tampa Bay, he's, he's been red hot throughout the series or for most of the series. And when you look at the game last night, after one shot on goal, Tampa was leading one nothing, and after six shots on goal, they were leading two nothing. And so, if you're a supporter of the Washington Capitals, oh boy, all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, "We're down two nothing. We've only had six shots on goal. Tough way to start the game." Very tough. What's the average uh, shot uh, on goal to get a score in in the NHL? Oh, it it it, it varies from game to game, period to period. Uh, for example. Most of the most of the games that Vegas has played throughout these series. Now I'd have to look it up to be precise, but most of the games that Vegas has played in the Stanley Cup Finals so far this spring, Flurry has faced about forty shots a game. Forty if shots. Facing, if you're facing forty shots a game and you're winning, that's got to tell you the big difference. It's the goaltending. So what the average shots per game are? What twenty to thirty on average? Oh yeah. Two. About so, thirty to thirty-five, 30 but in some 35. cases, in some cases, Flurry's been facing forty to forty-five shots a game. They just can't get a pee by him. By the way, before I forget and before we go to a break, if, if we're going to a break, can I do a shout out to Paul Porter? Absolutely, he's a great guy. I got to do a shout out to Paul Porter, who I've known for years and years. If there is a better in-stadium announcer anywhere. I'd like to know who he or she is because, in my humble opinion, Paul Porter ranks up there right at the top. 
He's a, he is. He's an amazing human being. And what a voice he has. And just, <laughs> I mean, he's so astute and so on. By the way, folks, if you don't know who Paul Porter is, he works for the Salem Station in Tampa. And he is the voice of the Orlando Magic. And he also is in the in the press box for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe. And also he does the, our, our Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't think he's involved in the baseball, but I can't remember. Bill, is no. he involved in baseball? No. No, he's just involved with the Magic and with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. But the incredible thing was, uh, throughout these playoffs, the uh, the CBC and Sportsnet uh, here in Canada have been going live with all these games. And uh, when they do a Lightning game, they take a pause after they do the initial introduction of the game. And now we turn things over to stadium announcer Paul Porter. And, oh, my God. Paul Porter just booms through the TV at you up here in Canada. <laughs> it's really something special. He's he's one of a kind. He is indeed. You know, Bill, um, our producer this morning, he has filled in a few times on announcement for, for Paul on the station. And he has a wonderful, wonderful voice and, and presentation. Oh, Are you stop. still with us, Bill? I am. Stop it. Stop it. I'm just behind He's kind of cute, too. So <laughs> while we're thinking about that, let's go grab a cup of Joe. I'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Grieving family and friends are recalling fond memories of the 10 people killed in the mass shooting at a Texas high school on Friday. Hardworking, funny, and loving are words used to describe them. The family of a 17-year-old gunman issued a statement yesterday saying the bloodshed, quote, seemed incompatible with the boy we love. NFL star J.J. Watt has offered to pay for the funerals of the 10 victims. The charter company whose 39-year-old plane crashed in Havana last week and killed 110 people is under investigation from the Mexican government. The plane originated in Mexico. They want to know more about what happened. Shiite cleric Muqtada al-Sadr's coalition beat out Iran's favored candidates in Iraqi elections after vowing to end foreign interference in the country's affairs. But Iran's close ties to other Iraqi politicians could allow it to assemble a governing bloc that will control him. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727 727- 
545-9674. We've enjoyed the highest market highs ever, the Trump bump, but let's get real. Can they really be maintained past nine years, the second longest bull run we've ever had? If you have 10 years or less until retirement, the number one concern of all Americans is, have I built enough? Will it last? Will I have enough income? The correction is coming. We've had the worst start to the second quarter since 1929. The cracks in this market are starting to show. Now is the time to do something. Don't repeat history. Don't repeat the Great Recession. Join best-selling author, distinguished tax attorney, and top 100 influential advisor in America, Rebecca Walser, at her exclusive event in South Tampa on May 24th as she discusses where to go now. You cannot afford to go through this next correction unprotected. Build your portfolio to last, not to crash. Limited space remains. Register now by calling 866-92-WEALTH. That's 866-92-WEALTH. That's 866-92-WEALTH. Captain Matt here. Are you in a dead-end job with no chance for raise or promotion? Jumpstart your career and your paycheck at National Aviation Academy with two locations, Concord, Massachusetts, and right here in Clearwater, Florida. In 14 months, you'll be on your way to a high-paying, in-demand job with unlimited growth potential. National Aviation Academy, online at naa.edu. That's naa.edu. Or call 800-659-2080. For more info about NAA stats, visit naa.edu slash success. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. We'll have thunderstorms in the area through this evening. Cloudy and not as warm today. A couple of showers and thunderstorms around, which can be heavy late in the day. High 80. Shower thunderstorm around tonight, otherwise mainly cloudy. Low 71. Variably cloudy tomorrow. Showers and thunderstorms possible. High 85. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Holly Holdren for AM 860. The answer. Daily and nightly, will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance, caress the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly, when I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it, you better gain weight. Then I'm back and it's a little bit of vanilla ice, rapping about being a winner. And, of course, <laughs> we're, we're doing that because we're in the ice hockey season and we're at the... Semifinals and Tampa Bay may just very well move on to the finals and win another Stanley Cup. And by the way, Pryor reminded me that if we win the Stanley Cup, which is the most coveted prize in, in professional ice hockey, we'll we will have won two Stanley Cups, which is more than the Toronto Maple Leafs have, have won in the past fifty years. And the Toronto Maple <laughs> Leafs, along with the Montreal Canadiens, have been sort of the the uh, uh, the meccas of ice hockey over the decades, so it's uh, it's unbelievable. So let, let's just say you're the owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, or you're the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, and your general manager is saying, "Well, what, what we have to do, boss, is we've got to set out a five-year plan here." And the owner's saying, uh, "What do you mean a five-year plan? Las Vegas came out of nowhere as an expansion team, and they've gone right to the Stanley Cup Finals. What's taking you five years when they're doing it in one?" You know, the, the problem is it's so cold up there that your blood starts to uh, coagulate in your system. And so that's why in the winter, the Canadians, they all slow down. It's hard to get them moving. You, to, you need a, well, like a, it, a hair dryer to heat them up and get them out on the ice. Yeah, well, in these, it, it's the old story in the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, it, it going, going back as many years as I can remember. 
If you get a hot goaltender in a best-of-seven series, look out. And that's exactly what's happening with Tampa Bay. And it's exactly what's happening with Las Vegas. They've got the two hottest goaltenders right now, and they're on the verge of going to the finals next week. And if that happens, that will truly be a remarkable story. A team coming from absolutely nowhere, an expansion team going to the Stanley Cup finals in its first year. It's incredible. And it's never been done. So it's nope. a unique phenomenon. Well, I want to morph away from that. Uh, prior, every time you come on the show, it seems like we've had another mass shooting in the United States. You and I have yeah. talked about this before, and, and uh, you know, the Canadian outlook on this is, you know, what's wrong with you people? How can this happen? <laughs> What 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 do you what's what's the buzz up north? Well, this this is truly truly sad. As as many will know, um, if you know the Canadian market at all, you will know that guns here aren't a problem. They never have been a problem. Um, people don't walk around with guns. You can't walk around with guns. The only people who can have guns are people who are licensed to have them, and there are all kinds of strict rules dictating how those guns can be maintained and by whom. And when you have a country that has more guns than people, you got to know, I guess there's a problem. And we sit back and we shake our heads and we hear people offering their thoughts and prayers once again for yet, this is what, the 22nd mass shooting in a high school this year alone. Boy, if that doesn't wake people up, I don't know what does. It's uh, it, it, it's really a, a terrible situation and my son and his generation, of course, they want to see more strict gun control in the United States. And uh, we, for better or worse, we have this Constitution, which has a Second Amendment, and ownership of guns is enshrined in, as part of the Constitution of the United States. Our democracy is a little bit different than yeah. any any other. So, the, But uh, I, th- I think that there's things that we could do to prevent this. I mean, first of all, these jurisdictions are not enforcing the laws that are on the books. For instance, this kid Cruz over on the east coast of Florida who shot up a bunch of people at Parkland High School, he had posted on the Internet violent threats, and under Florida state law, that's punishable by up to 15 years in prison. And the police had even gone out there, the sheriff's department, but nobody arrested this kid and brought him in. As a matter of fact, the police. Yeah, matter of fact, the police went to the family's home several times. Yep, and you know we have laws on the books in almost every state. The federal government has a law about this. So if you mail a letter or use any kind of interstate uh, communication to threaten somebody with uh, physical violence or death, or to try to extort money from them, that's that's a crime. And they even prosecuted a guy up in Jacksonville last year. And he got, I don't know, five to seven years for threatening somebody through the mail. So I, th- I think that part of it is we need a better uh, vetting of people before they're allowed to buy a gun. But in the case of these teenage kids, the parents are the ones that buy the guns. Yeah. So what's going on there? And if you have a kid that's having trouble, that's uh, impulsive as I was and angry as I was, uh, certainly letting them have access to a gun is not a good thing. And I can remember as, as a teenager at a party at my house, a guy came in there that I didn't like, and I didn't want him there. And I was a little drunk prior and I grabbed my shotgun and my friends physically restrained me from killing the son of a gun. And, uh, you know, this, this is uh, not mass murder, but I think that the impulsivity of adolescence 
requires that parents and jurisdictions be more alert and more proactive in preventing the kids from having access to guns. And if they do make threats, and, and by the way, this kid in, in uh, Santa Fe High School in, in Texas, he posted images of guns and knives and born to kill. And yeah. in my opinion, those are threats that are made on the Internet. And the jurisdictions are saying, well, we didn't, or at least that jurisdiction, they're saying, well, we didn't see the signs that these other kids like Cruz showed. Baloney. That's nonsense. These jurisdictions don't want to take responsibility, partly because of all the problems they'll get into if they go after these teenagers. You'll have angry parents and the Civil Liberties Union and everybody else coming out. But that's too bad. I mean, you know, that's what we're paying them for. That's why we have these laws on the books, and they need to enforce them. That's it. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, and that that also goes along with let's do better vetting and let's make sure that parents who buy guns with teenagers in the house, the teenagers need to be brought in and and screened at little a little uh, Minnesota multiple personality index test just to see how impulsive and sociopathic they are. And if they are, then don't give it to them. Yeah. Well, you know, and. Did it not trigger anybody into thinking that something was a little screwy when this kid shows up wearing a trench coat in 90-degree weather every day? I mean, you know, you, you got to wonder. But now that if you try to say, well, you can't dress like that, then the parents are at the, the principal's office saying, you can't yeah. tell my son what to wear and what not to wear in the United States. And we have a right to and we have freedoms. And But uh, a lot of the jurisdictions in Florida, now the kids have to wear a uniform in the public schools. And that works for me. I mean, yep. I wore a coat and tie every day to high school. I had no choice. Yep. I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, see, here in Canada, we don't have a gun lobby. We don't have anything like that kind of stuff. And the idea of a of a, a, a gun-related incident is is, you know, in the overall scheme of things, really, really rare. But when you hear that there have been 22 mass shootings in high schools this year alone in the U.S., does that not trigger something? Does that not... Does that not prompt somebody somewhere to say, hey, enough is enough? I agree. And uh, I think the president needs to set up a, a commission that will look into how we can prevent these situations and at the same time protect Second Amendment rights. Uh, oddly enough, you would think that the Supreme Court would have tightened up on the Second Amendment there was a more strict interpretation of it in the 19th century when a guy came to court and he said, well, I have a right under the Second Amendment to own a pistol and carry it in the city. And the city said, no, we don't want you carrying pistols. And the Supreme Court said that doesn't have anything to do with uh, uh, a militia. Militias are supposed to be state level and yeah. the gun has to be overseen by the militia. And that was their interpretation. But in the 20th and 21st century, the courts have liberalized and said, well, we think the founding fathers meant that you could also carry a handgun for self-protection. And uh, so it has become, it's almost as if the interpretation of the Constitution and the direction of society are, are uh, 180 degrees away from each other. But uh, we have to have some final arbiter, and that's the Supreme Court. So I don't know what we do. I think we need to get the president to set up a commission. Let's take a look at this. Let's see what we can do to tighten up the scrutinization of people who are buying guns. Uh, let's look at how we can assess these teenagers. Let's make sure that we're looking at the Internet, that there's a, a, a 
department of law enforcement that actually scans the internet for all this. And we've got all the computer equipment to do this now anyway. Yeah. So why not? I mean, we're doing it for the terrorists, the, the, the NSA and the CIA, they have all these fancy programs and they don't, they don't have anybody sitting there listening to telephone calls and, and scanning the internet, seeing what emails are going out. They have computers that are picking up on words and phrases and, and, uh, different triggers. And then it, it kicks out to somebody to look at it a little more in depth, but we can do this. This is not that hard. We can cut this down to almost zero. Are we going to cut it completely out? No, I don't think so. In a nation of 320, 330 million people with the gun laws and the second amendment, the way it's structured, we're always going to have a little bit of this, but we can certainly cut it way down. I mean, this well, is you would think so. It's and, just and, ridiculous. Prior. And you know, you say, say the president has got to make some kind of a move. This is the same president who went out of his way to accept millions and millions and millions of dollars from the gun lobby and was on stage throughout the campaign in support of the gun lobby. So what are you going to do? You wind up being elected, and then you wind up in this pickle. Well, I think this is what what helps determine the medal of the man. I, I think it was uh, Herbert Hoover when when Franklin Roosevelt was elected, and Herbert Hoover met him when he came into the office and you know passed the baton or whatever. And he said he really wasn't very impressed. But 10 years later, he said, the press of responsibility squeezes out strange juices, so that's something to yep. think about. And we may see this president, who is certainly iconoclastic. I mean, he he is not a liberal. He's not a conservative. Uh, he's the kind of guy that likes to get things done. And uh, I think that uh, he can. I think he can walk the line between gun rights and let's tighten up on this nonsense and get rid of this. So I'm I'm hopeful that he will uh, he will rise to the occasion, and you never know. I mean, you never know. Yeah. Uh, well, I, well, I I certainly hope so. As someone who looks down from up north and watches what goes on, and you just shake your head as yet another one unfolds. And this one on on Friday was was beyond tragic. Oh, it was just ridiculous. It's so it's so ridiculous. I mean, how can you sit there and let this kid? Uh, behave the way he did and post the things that he posted and uh, wear these outfits. I mean, first of all, if you come into a, a nice hockey game at, at Emily Arena here in Tampa Bay with a trench coat on and it's 90 degrees out, I guarantee that they're going <laughs> to they're going to frisk you and stop you and say, what the hell are you doing? And uh, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever why we can't sit on. I mean, these are teenagers. These are not adults. Yes, they have some rights, but they don't have the right to wear whatever they want to school. I mean, what are we going to all be going topless now? It just uh, it doesn't make any sense. As a matter uh, of fact, if you walk into any major league arena or any major league sports stadium now, you have to walk through a scanner that, that will detect metal. Matter of fact, it'll even detect my new right hip. Yep. And so maybe we got to have all that kind of stuff in schools uh, across the U.S. As, as maybe just one step in the in the right direction. Absolutely, and we need uh, we need local uh, law enforcement stationed at these high schools. Uh, I think that it's it's just absolutely necessary, at least at this time in history, that we do this until we. Yeah get better control and uh the liberals are calling for more school counselors but i guarantee you there wasn't any school counselor on earth that could have told me anything when i was 16 or 17 i mean i was really just 
basically impulsive and out of control uh, part of the time. And there wasn't anybody. The only thing I was afraid of was punishment. (laughs) And uh, people say, well, you know, prison's not a deterrent. The hell it isn't. When I beat some kid half to death at age 19, I walked out and said, you know what? I'm going to end up in prison. And uh, that's when I I stopped fighting. I said, this is craziness. I'm an adult male now. They're going to lock my rear end up forever. Uh, So it is a deterrent and there are deterrents and there's also proactive things we can do. We can screen these, we can screen the boys when they come in in pre-K and find out what's going on in the homes. Cause 95% of these situations, there's some kind of abuse or neglect, uh, going on. And it, it's just, uh, it's preventable. It's treatable. And we just have to make a decision. That's that's what we're going to do. And the jurisdictions have to make a decision that they're going to enforce the laws that we, the people, have put on the books. Yep, it's going to cost a lot more money in terms of law enforcement, but unfortunately, something has to be done, and maybe that's just just that, part of it. That's just part of it. And uh, you know, people would come to the United States at the turn of the last century from England, and they would say, for individual freedoms, for a country that touts itself as having individual freedom, there are more police than anywhere on earth, and there's <laughs> more people locked up than anywhere on earth. So that's right. You know, it's it's one of those situations where you can't have one without the other. And if you give people a lot of personal freedom, there's going to be a subset that are going to take advantage of those freedoms, and they're going to end up on the wrong side of the law. Yeah. Well, here's hoping because, boy, something's got to be done. This just can't go on. Yeah, and uh, I saw one of the kids posted online um, on the website that they have a big chat going about this kid down in Texas. And she said, if you want to know how to prevent school shootings, then let me take you by the hand and walk you across the border into Canada, and you'll see it right away. You'll figure it out. Yep. Well, I guess that's not for me to say, but all I can say is when you talk about tourism being as important as it is to the state of Florida – the Parkland thing down in Fort Lauderdale certainly didn't help the situation this past winter. No, it, it didn't. Uh, I, I would say, though, that most of the people that I come in contact with from Canada who are down here for the winter, they are not putting themselves at the at, at risk. You know, they're not going to a public high school. They're not going to big venues. Mm. And when they do go places, if they go to a hockey game like Amelie Arena, they're going to be screened, and they know everybody else is, and so they feel fairly safe. And, yeah, but st- uh, sadly, perception is reality. Yeah. Well, and that that's one of the problems. I think the bigger perception that was uh, difficult for tourism for a few years was when this couple was killed at a rest station, was it 10, 15, 20 years ago? And uh, that really uh, that really sticks with people. Yes, I, indeed it does. One thing, but if you're a tourist and you're down here or you're from outside of the United States and you get shot and killed at a rest stop on an interstate, I mean, people are going to not good. You know, I don't know if I want to go to Orlando. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It is a problem and we need to address it. We need it it all goes back to are we going to cater to our main industry in Florida, which is tourism, or are we going to cave in and and uh, let people run amok. I think we need to cater. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that we have to be very grateful for the Canadians and for you guys prior and for what you bring down to us. By the way, well, you, could, uh, you couldn't you be see- better hosts. 
Yeah. And you can, uh, you can see me if you want a doctor at Bay Area Medical. And if you're Canadian or out of the country visitor, Can Care Clinic for Canadians and visitors. Same building, same practice. We see Americans and Canadians. And Canadians, uh, as I've said, Florida's just the southernmost province of Canada in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it always has been. And I suspect as long as it's snowing in the wintertime, it always will be. You got it, man. All right, Bill, we're out of here. And, uh, Bill, thanks for, for helping us out here this morning, Guy. And, and we want to see you do more for Paul Porter Pryor. Good to hear from you and see you. We love you, buddy. Uh, keep coming back. We need you down here. And I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio OMD.